Welcome back, everybody. We are kicking off December with the lovely Galadriel uh, Steinman. Uh, you've seen her on This Is Us. You've seen her on uh, The Middle. You've seen her in Glee, if you can remember. I definitely remember seeing her in Glee. Uh, that's not true. I remember uh, that she was in Glee and then I had to look it up just, you know, about a half an hour before the show. So only truth on the show. Truth is the key. Uh, but please welcome uh, Galadriel. And I'm really happy that you're here. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. See, I, I was thinking about getting away with it and then I checked myself. Nope, I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> this, um, is the year of, this is the year of the truth. This is the year of the truth. Yes, absolutely. And that's that's kind of the funny part. Um, my my parents, my wife, everybody kind of is on my case because I'm all truth uh, always. When I'm interviewing for a job, they ask me a question, I answer it truthfully. Whether it's the right thing to say on an interview or it's not, I'm going to tell them who I am because I'm a firm believer of if you're going to hire me for a job, you need to know who I am. I'm not going to pretend it's like a relationship. You know, when you when you're on a date with somebody uh, or when you're trying to uh, to get to know somebody, it's either you're putting on a, a face or you're really opening up. And the way to a real relationship is to open up and have people know who you are so you can know who they are and then decide if this is a match. I view everything kind of in that mode. So, yeah. You have to remember most of my job interviews are auditions, so I'm lying from the beginning, but telling the truth, just someone else's truth. Yeah, well, it's 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 you in that uh, character and their truth in that moment. Yes, absolutely. Uh, which is actually quite a difficult thing to do, especially in an audition. Um, so let's let's actually start it off there, and then we'll come back to uh, to kind of your background in a minute. But in an audition, what have you found as to kind of the most difficult thing that you encounter and the easiest thing for you personally? Um, you know, I think early on for me, the most difficult thing in auditions was just assuming that by me just going in and being present and open and truthful, uh, mm -hmm. that I'd be able to deliver a performance that they'd be interested in buying. And, you know, unfortunately, you're usually reading with, um, an assistant who has no acting experience or interest. You have no props, no wardrobe. You're supposed to be standing on top of the Eiffel Tower. You have a chair. Uh, and so very quickly, I had to figure out how to um, combine acting technique and you know natural instincts and talent. Um, and so now I think auditions are fun for me, but most of that is because I, I create everything that will be there for me before I go into the audition so that when I get there, I can still do that same thing that I did early on and just show up and do it for the first time because all that work was done before I got there and I could read with a stick if they want me to and it's still going to be endowed with the same life and history that hopefully the actor will be on set. Yeah. Do you so? Do you walk in as the character, or do you walk in as uh, Galadriel and then you know snap into the character? I definitely walk in as myself, and that choice has come from the many casting director friends that I have that are like, please do not walk in in character, especially if it's a series regular. We want to have an idea of who we're going to be working with for the next ten years. Um, okay. Now, I will say a rookie move I used to do when I first came that I don't do anymore is I thought, well let's say this character is like strung out and like hippy dippy and all this stuff. If I come in totally different yeah. and then I do the performance, I'll be so impressed by how good of an actor I am because they'll see like, wow, she's like that, but look what she can do. And that doesn't work because they, especially producers, they like mm -hmm. to hire someone, at least with the, they don't want to hire an evil person to play evil, but they're yeah. looking for that essence and they don't know what we know. And so now I do try to at least, um, hint at the essence of the character I'll be bringing in, which also helps prepare me to like launch into it. But mm -hmm. I like to think of it more as turning up and down different dials of my own colors um, mm -hmm. rather than conjuring something that isn't truly a part of me. So it's always me. It's just going to be, whether it's me perky and bright or me a little more subdued and connected, depends on the role, I think. Yeah, and that's that's a great segue into kind of you know the different acting approaches and uh, as as actors start out and you're an acting coach, so as actors starting out, you know they learn all the different methodologies and they go through the spectrum and I see it as this this kind of uh, circle of of acting life. You start out being yourself, 
and then you're told to be somebody else and all these different approaches and then until the very some point in time you really uh, you realize that it's really all just me and it's the different parts of me so um it seems like you're on that spectrum of it's you it's just different parts of you and the different you know turning up the dial or down yeah and you know i think that that was um a big thing for me early on especially when i moved to los angeles there's so many acting studios and so many places and how do you know which one is the right one and everyone then says ah we got trained like i swear 10 acting studios are the reason Halle Berry was successful if you believe they're like ads you're like how do I know and yeah. so I sort of have found the buffet approach in my own work and I encourage most actors to do that study everywhere yeah. learn it all carry your tool belt and have access to whatever you need when it's there so sometimes you know there's those acting studios that'll say only substitution you can only use your own life experiences or it's not real only imagination it's cheating if you bring anything from your own life and like that's just why you know yeah. it makes no sense sometimes your imagination is going to be needed when you can't connect or because you just immerse yourself in the story so quickly sometimes you relate so much and so i think it's best to learn it all and then you can like open your closet and pick out which things are gonna be there for you that day and when one stops working you've got backups you know yeah so what what have you found from your tool belt that works best for you i know it, it varies depending on role but if you look from a macro perspective and kind of throughout your career saying, you know, this worked more than the other ones. What would that be? Um, well, I would say it's just become a personal change. You know, early in my career, uh, I substitution was most successful for me. And I would spend hours trying to find a connection into something uh, or imagining it's as if this happened. You know, some people call it 50-50 or as if. Um, and it's funny, somewhere along the line, it just became easier for me to just jump into imagination. And so now um, I've also been, I was an only child, oh, I am an only child. Um, yeah. And, you know, I was, I've been a re reader my whole life. And so it, it, I never had trouble jumping into the viewpoint of my fiction characters, just accepting that I was in their head and going. Mm -hmm. And so I think at some point, once technique became more of like a part of me and I wasn't consciously writing down each thing, became a part of that, then imagination became more natural to me. Um, it was actually easier for me to accept these imaginary circumstances. Um, but sometimes, you know, maybe the stakes don't feel as high to me as they do to this character, especially if it's like on Mars, underwater in the year 2075, like that's kind of hard to connect to. So yeah. in those situations, I'll usually kind of try to bring, think of, um, I'm more using my imagination to mm -hmm. identify how they're feeling and at what level and then mm -hmm. creating something that does that same for me because maybe no matter what i do i could not bring myself to that place based on those circumstances because i can't imagine them yeah. you know so then i'm trying to take it macro to mm -hmm. micro to something more relatable like maybe they're trying to save mars but then i'm like okay well maybe their family that saves their family okay i can imagine trying to save family yeah. you know so. yeah then also the audience can relate too, I feel like. Yeah, and that's that's the thing, right? All of the sci-fi, it's, it's set somewhere else, but that's really just a way for us to relax and to stop thinking that this is reality, where in reality, they're just focusing on the same concepts. It's the same concepts that all of us can uh, can actually attach uh, to. Uh, same thing with uh, with animated. Uh, you know, it's, it's really all the same ideas. We're just taking them uh, into a different medium and I think that allows people to uh, to relax and uh, to um, suspend uh, disbelief uh, and and to kind of uh, relate much more to the characters in whatever it is that they're watching yeah I mean you know there's an argument that there's only 10 stories or whatever that you can ever tell and it's just, just telling them in different ways I always think of it as it's almost like Mad Libs you're just filling in different things in different blanks but we're telling the same stories they were telling thousands of years ago, you know, the same epic journeys and coming of age stories and stuff. So um, I think always starting by trying to connect to what the universal human truth is, is usually mm -hmm. the simplest way to go forward. Agreed. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm watching, uh, I just, you know, I, I, I like uh, Jane Austen's uh, novels. Uh, I didn't grow up with them, but uh, I did a movie, uh, I did a version of Pride and Prejudice 
And then in my background, I thought, well, like at least I need to know what the story is about so I can be that little you know, co-star part in it. And then that took me into the whole Jane Austen uh, you know, run where I've watched every movie and every show and everything that I can get my hands on because I loved it. So now I watched the new uh, Emma uh, with uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. And then I thought, you know what? I did not see the Emma with uh, uh, that you know came out 20 years ago with God, her name escapes me right now. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm watching that and then realizing, kind of coming back full circle to all of these stories, is that well, there's Clueless, you know, Clueless. I know. That's what I was say. And then the Emma from 25 years ago, the Clueless. <laughs> it's uh, so that's that's where I'm kind of. Uh, I agree that they're they're not that many uh, stories. It's just it's a different premise, uh, but it's the same idea. We're talking love, we're talking fear, we're talking you know overcoming obstacles, uh, growth. It's it's all the same. But that's why some things you know there there can be fifteen hundred books on love or self love or discovery, but it's which resonates with whoever is reading it because one is going to resonate with you and the other is going to resonate with somebody else. So people keep writing, people keep doing movies. It's all great. doesn't matter. It's the same story. Well, and I think what you're hitting on too is that that should be celebrated where a lot of people are like, oh, it's that same old story. And it's like, well, it's the story, the human story that people want to hear. And someone, you know, by nature of them telling it, it's going to be a different voice and a different perspective and a different person in the audience who's going to see themselves on screen. And so I think we should be celebrating that we tell the same stories over and over again. Like, the, I don't think we need to be doing a million sequels of, you know, superhero movies necessarily, but it's okay mm -hmm. to think, hmm, what if we took that but told it this way or from this person's point of view? Because there are still plenty of voices in our world that are underrepresented and we're not hearing from and they should get to tell those stories that's going to be a whole different story if it's told from those viewpoints agreed but again in our industry it's a business like any other so if there is a formula that works they're going to continue with that formula especially in something that costs a lot of money to make that's why i love indies i love indies because they really get a chance to play and now that the technology is there indies can you know be at not the same level because there's just not enough uh, money or time for it, but they can be at a really high level and they have a chance to tell those stories from different perspectives. So I'm a big, uh, big indie fan. Yeah. And I like the commercial stuff too, you know, I'm equal opportunity. Like I, you know, the time of year for Christmas movies and I'm like, I like knowing what I'm going to turn on. I like that I know where it's going to go. Like that's why I'm there. I'm there because the world is crazy right now. And I want to know like, they're going to tie up all those loose ends for me and I'm going to feel good at the end. You know, it's, it's, it's knowing what you need when you need it. I know it's that whole Hallmark channel. It's like, I, I, my favorite time of the year is this time. It's, you know, right before Thanksgiving going through the new years, because that's my energy. That's my music. That's the kind of the good feelings. I even noticed that I, I, I had a breakthrough where it just dawned on me my you know wife asked me to wash dishes i'm washing dishes and i turn on uh pandora where i have kind of this you know eclectic mix and then i'm enjoying washing dishes and i ask myself the question of why are you enjoying washing dishes it's not necessarily something that i would think that i would have been enjoying but it's because i am listening to the music which a lot of it is in those movies that uh, you and i are are loving in the christmas time and it reminds me and it creates that atmosphere where i'm just happy and it's joyful and i can wash dishes for two hours i don't care it's, it's a great feeling so Maybe i told I them, do that with my kids put just put some music on be like clean your room <laughs> it's fun now let's see if it works yeah so it's we, we get a chance to trick ourselves into it but it's because of that music because of those uh movies i love them as well uh when when people are asking like what do you want for your acting career uh, one of my, you know, big, big uh, dreams is Hallmark movie. I want to be in that energy. To me, it's all about kind of energy. I can appreciate how wonderful some horror films are, and I'm not going to watch them because that's not my energy. But Hallmark movies, that's my energy. So that's well, you know, this is the first year where we dived in deep to to Hallmark movies. My husband and I uh, started one together, and our sons were in it too, and everything. And um, we went in deep into that world and now uh, I've written two and 
Um, I have a publishing deal to come out with um, novel versions in 2021, a fall romance and a Christmas romance. I'm actually about to turn in the first draft for the fall romance in like a couple weeks. And I'm so excited. And so I'm like living in that headspace all day long. And I love it, you know? Um, I it started as something I was curious about and now I'm like in so deep uh this time last year I think I'd seen I'd seen Hallmark movies that my friends were in but I'd never just watched them for fun and now people are like mentioning Christmas movies and like oh I've seen that one. Oh, that was a 2019 one yep mm -hmm, seen them all. uh so I get it I feel you 100% especially this year it's just I know it's, it's also a really growing medium whereas stuff yeah. is getting pregnant people want more and more and more of it um you know and it's a loyal audience and so I, I like tapping into that i also it's you know i've done all kinds of different work i've had very eclectic jobs um yeah. but it's nice to do something where i know like my kid could watch it my grandma could watch it you know anybody can watch it and it's going to be appropriate and enjoyable and that's a nice world too i love doing fun edgy like edgy stuff too you know um but sometimes that's hard to shake off when you come home you always feel good when you come home from a hallmark movie Thank you. And you're, you're doing great, by the way, in transitions, because the next thing I wanted to ask you about is when you're doing something edgy, when you're doing that character that's different from you, that is in a different energy, you know, how do you get back to you? Many people use, uh, you know, different uh, ways of doing that. I want to know what yours is. Well, um, you know, I never, I don't usually have a hard time shaking it off although i will if i'm working on something that's like edgier or dark uh a lot of times i like to um go to sleep um like running lines because i have a hard time falling asleep at night and that tends to be a way that helps you fall asleep but i sort of have a rule that if it's something edgy or dark I'm, i need to read some other fiction or flip through a magazine or something before i go to bed um yeah. but for me it's actually it's usually the shaking off my regular life you know, I mean, my life's pretty great. I got a great family. I'm fairly happy most of the time. Um, but I always want to make sure that when the person who identifies with the person I'm playing in the audience, like sees themselves portrayed on screen, that I'm doing them justice. And that means commit, you know, I've got clients and and friends and he'll be like, no, oh, no, I never go there. I, I don't, I don't ever go there. And I'm like, well, then don't play that role pass on it because that's not i you're sure protect your emotional health but that's disrespectful if you're going to phone it in to the person who is looking up to see themselves represented on the screen and so but anyway when i do all my work and everything like let's say i'm going into an audition that's edgy if i really feel like i it's far from me i'm going to want to kind of inhabit that physical space when i leave my house and that's the times when i will listen to the pandora channel that I feel like represents that character and you know I'm sort of in it there but normally it sounds kind of silly but if I'm outside an audition uh you know we're always finding street parking a million miles away in LA I'll like be at the meter and I'll see where the building is and I'll pick a line on the sidewalk and I'll sort of like breathe in and count down and I'm like after I pass that line mm -hmm. I'm just I'm leaving me behind and I'm like going into it and I kind of like slip into it so I'd give myself like a, a second where I do and I'm like okay and then I'm like in that space. Now, sometimes I'll get into the audition and I'll see that there are 10 people on the waiting list and I don't wanna burn myself out. That seems to be a, a very dangerous thing that a lot of my clients will do. You don't need to be in that space for that long before an audition, yeah. especially when you don't know when they're gonna call you. So then I'll see, okay, this person's name is two before me. I'm gonna go be myself, chill out, scroll Facebook. And so then when I hear that name, we're gonna repeat the process and I'm gonna get into that space again. That's cool. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm like uh, some of your clients who, you know, I, I don't go there. I've been offered uh, some roles in really, really dark things like you're a cult leader and uh, you're going to slice somebody's, uh, you know, uh, throat uh, because it's a part of the procedure. I'm like, nope, that's that's not an energy I want to be associated with. I know it's not something i'm going to have an easy time shaking off and it's yeah i'm an empath so uh i pick up energy everywhere anyway i don't want to pick up that energy and then have you know have all sorts of sage and everything else that i'll need to do just to get rid of it so yeah well, i i, I pass that's it. 
basically just taking charge of your career and what you want to do. You know, I think it becomes a problem when it's the people who feel they have a right to do that without a right to committing to it, what it deserves, you know, and so they'll, they'll phone it in. Um, and they'll, and they'll proudly phone it in because they'll say like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't go there. And, you know, you can find a different way in, but if they're just not willing to go to that depth for it, especially if it's a client of mine, I'll say like, you know, I don't know if I can help you on this because you're hiring me to, uh, try to help you play this person as close to the chest and honestly as possible. And you don't, you aren't willing to be honest in it, you know? Uh, so that's different. It's nice. It's 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 a sign of a professional to know when it's time to pass it on to someone else, you know. So that I think is a great thing. Good. All right. I feel good about it. <laughs> Thank you. You're a wonderful acting coach. Even without you know uh, hiring you, I already see why people do. Okay. Um, let's uh, let's uh, circle back a little bit because uh, I you know in doing my in doing my prep on you, I saw a couple of really cool things that for me personally were interesting. Uh, you were born in Cincy. Uh, I, I'm in Chicago, so, but my friends and I, except for this year, for obvious reasons, uh, my friends and I go to Cincinnati uh, every year. It's like a you know, boys uh, tennis trip where we go and we uh, watch the Western Southern open and we've spent you know, three, four days there, just basically 12 hours of, of tennis a day and uh, we, we can't get enough of it. So, I missed that part of it. So I saw that you're from Cincinnati and then your dad played tennis uh, professionally. But then actually, by the way, before we even get there, I, I started looking, I'm like, well, I don't see her dad's name. So I put Steinman tennis. And then I see Robert uh, Steinman, who is a, you know, uh, who played at Stanford and he graduated from New Trier, which is, you know, high school 20 minutes away. But timing does not add up. So it could be <laughs> It could be somebody that is a, re a relative of yours that also is a, is a tennis player. But um, uh, tell me uh, about your dad. Uh, where did he play? How much did he play? I am not familiar. Uh, you know, well, my dad was one of nine children. And so as he told it, tennis, like he walked himself down to a tennis court when he was, you know, nine or 10 years old and, and just started playing. Um, but he, he did very well. It didn't end up being what he pursued long term professionally. Um, mm -hmm but he played on his uh, high school team and they were big for tennis at St. X uh, Xavier in Cincinnati. Um, he went on to play at Princeton University um, and then played professionally. He was ranked at some, I don't know. I didn't, the thing is, is I grew up on tennis court every of my life and it wasn't called the Western when I was growing up, it was the HB. Um, and um, you know, I enjoyed it, but it was, uh, what was nice is that my parents both really uh, just gave me the freedom to pursue what I was interested in. And now mm. I have regrets that, I mean, I would, I literally sat on a tennis court every day. It mm -hmm. didn't matter. And it's like, I could wander off and do my own thing, yeah. but you know, um, I, my dad would have welcomed my interest and I wasn't interested until high school. And then mm. I started to play and they didn't have a girls team at my high school. And so um, my dad volunteered to coach it. And so we had one. And so that's how I got my first varsity letter. I don't know that I would have had there already been a team, but we, mm. you know, it was like the Mighty Ducks. We got together everybody who was interested. And, um, you know, I remember me and Katie, we played some good doubles uh, for then. <laughs> um, but, you know, but it was nice. And I liked growing up around that. And I, I knew all the tennis players. And yeah. that's what was on. We didn't have cable. That's what was on in our house all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's funny because a lot of my happy memories from my childhood are based around tennis and I usually wasn't playing it, you know. <laughs> uh, and again, the, the awesome thing about, you know, going to Cincy for that uh, tournament is the fact that, you know, tennis players, the best tennis players in the world are there. And they are literally around Cincinnati. You know, there is a there is a sushi place that we go to and eat, uh, you know, every time when we're there. And every time there is a tennis player there. Now, and you know, just sitting right next to us, so we're we're having a chat with uh, with a pro that we were just watching. You know, it's uh, Cincy is a place where you know I kind of noticed Dominic Team, uh, and we talked to his coach. Uh, you know, before anybody really knew Dominic Team, so I was kind of uh, you know I was in Team Team before uh, you know I know anybody else was on. So like <laughs> all of these memories, uh, and then going to practice because we obviously you know watching so much tennis, we need to go play. And you can't uh, you can play outdoors as well, but 
you know, we go to the tennis uh, clubs around and there's always somebody practicing there. So you, you get a chance to practice. This my my tennis, my kind of the achievement of my tennis career, which which is not a career at all. But um, Pierre, uh, Pierre Herbert, um, Pierre Herbert, uh, I think TS three names, uh, Pierre Herbert. He was number one uh, uh, doubles, uh, you know, ranked uh, player. And now he's doing fairly well in singles. He's, I think, you know, 40 or 50 uh, ranked. So um, he he was on, you know, court one. We were on court two. We were, you know, uh, <clears throat> they were practicing. We were playing uh, doubles. And it's my turn to serve. And I'm, I'm about to serve. And I see all of them. They're taking a break and they're looking at me serving. And these are, you know, these are pros. And there is that thing that comes up like, well, I better not screw this up. I, I, need, <laughs> I need to do something. So I have a serve that I learned by watching uh, Pete Sampras because I grew up with uh, with Pete. He was my favorite player. Uh, and it's, I, I hit it, and this is a serve out wide. I hit the serve. I don't know how fast it goes. I, I used to serve uh, fairly fast. Uh, when I was growing up, I thought I was going to be a pro because I could serve over 120 miles an hour. So oh. it, was, it, was a, it was a good serve. It was a great serve, you know, right kind of out wide. And it, you know, because of the spin, you're not spinning this way, you're spinning this way. So it bounces this way. And all of them were like, whoa, that's a great serve. I'm like, yes, that's it. That's my tennis <laughs> moment. I've arrived. And then when they were leaving, they they said, hey, dude, that was a great serve. I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. And, and I probably was that at that club too, I would bet. Because my dad was also, there were years where he was a resident pro at all the different clubs in Cincinnati. Yeah. So I, I, for me, I knew where, how you could like, sneak behind everything where all the like secret passages were like that was more my frame of it um but yeah it was cool that you always there were always people that would i would know from tv there you know i always got even though i wasn't a huge tennis fan i was in the same way that somebody is watching a professional sports team who doesn't really play because that's that was a sport in our house um and so i'd always get all the autographs after the matches and you know i always thought that was really cool it was yeah. really cool it's it's a great tournament we we Sincerely, <laughs> sincerely hope that uh, you know things come down enough by by August where we can have, you know go and have that tournament again. We, yeah. we missed it this year. Um, anyway, so uh, back uh, back to uh, back to you. So you grew up in Cincy, well, kind of. Then you went uh, across the at the bridge uh, to uh, Northern Kentucky. Yeah, there's uh, a big in there <laughs> so I'm like anybody who's watching would be like, no, she's from Northern Kentucky. Which people who aren't from that area don't really understand. Actually, people who aren't from that area have no idea that Kentucky and Ohio border each other. I've learned that over the years. Yeah, you know, it's a bridge, people. Yeah. I, mean, um, I literally grew up three blocks from the Ohio River. So it's close, you know, and that's where Cincinnati starts. I'm, uh, you know, but there people call it the Ohio Ocean because culturally, it's so different the Ohio people and the Kentucky people and my dad was born and raised in Cincinnati my mom my mom was born and raised in northern Kentucky and it, you know it's like two different worlds and so I was born in Cincinnati but lived in northern Kentucky from age three until until I moved and then that's where I went to college too was in northern Kentucky I got you uh, I didn't know that it was at three okay that that makes a little more sense but uh, yeah, yeah. I have all my relatives in Cincinnati, and unlike a lot of people, like people will drive in Northern Kentucky 30 miles south to go to a store that is three miles north in Ohio. Like they, it's, it's, it's a strange thing. It's, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, it could be that used to be the old line between the north and the south. I have theories that like those lines run deep, you know, I, that was literally the line. Whatever it was, my family never really adhered to that. So, you know, my dance classes were in Cincinnati. Our friends were in Cincinnati. Like, we spent tons of time in Cincinnati. My parents usually worked there. My mom was always a nurse and worked at the hospitals there. But, um, but yeah, there's there's a line there. It's funny. And I know there's other places like that in the United States where it's like, oh, it's not the same thing. And even in college, people be like, oh, you're from Cincinnati. Oh, you're from Kentucky. And we could walk the distance between them, you know. Uh, I, I, you know, a lot of my relatives are in Detroit. I spend a lot of time in Detroit. I went to high school my freshman year in Detroit. So you have Detroit and then Windsor, you know, right across, uh, right across the bridge. So you have US and you have Canada, and you know, you you go back and forth, and it's uh, just just a bridge. That's really all it is. So that was uh, the 
dress in college uh, for the fraternity formal since the drinking age in Windsor was 19. Yeah. Um, everybody wanted an invite to the dance in Windsor because they could go up and party. And it's just crazy to be like, and we're in Canada, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's cool. But yeah, I uh, I love where you uh, where you grew up because that area will always be special to me because of tennis. And I have uh, family in Louisville as well, so you know. We kind oh of yeah, love I do too. I love Louisville. That's one of my other favorite cities back there. It's a great city. Very cool. All right, let's uh, let's uh, uh, kind of build up into your acting career, right? So you uh, you grew up in Northern Kentucky. Everybody listening, it is Northern Kentucky. <laughs> Uh, up in northern Kentucky then um you you kind of um you you did a cool uh, thing of you were a broadcasting uh broadcasting journalism major because you didn't know whether you know acting was going to be it or you know you you listened to other people that said well if you could do something else do something else <laughs> we know that feeling right it's that it's that thing i think um in um the marvelous Miss Maisel, uh, they they did that really really well when she was asking in the very beginning where she was asking uh, if you could do something else would you do it? He's like nope, you know uh, that's that's just you know, you have to. It's either it's in your blood or it's not. And those of us who are in the industry we know what that feels like. <clears throat> so sometimes it sometimes it feels like an affliction, but yeah, if you if you've been bitten. Yeah, as a parent now, it's interesting to look at my kids. Like kid one is safe. He's got no interest in the business. Kid two has warning signs. And my husband, you know, my husband's an actor too. And yeah. our son, our older son's always like, mom, dad, like get a real job, <laughs> you know? And like, but the little one lately, uh, we've been like, uh-oh, oh no, no. <laughs> like it's a blessing and a curse, you know? It is. And um, my, my daughter is into it. My son is not. Thankfully, my daughter is kind of on the on the edge. She loves uh, high. She's 16, so she loves uh, high school theater. She's a music theater kid. Uh, she loves all of that part. But I don't see her kind of dad. I need to audition. I need to get an agent. I need to do this. You need to drive me. I don't see it, and I'm not pushing. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm well, okay with it. It's the only profession, I think, where we really encourage children to get jobs when they're little. You know, it's like when a kid shows an interest or a talent in soccer, like we put them on a team and maybe they do select teams and they travel, but we're not trying to get them to go pro. Um, and, you know, I have many clients that are young kids and um, it's been it's been right for their family. But I know in my family, especially with two actors as parents like my kids aren't getting jobs whatever they are until they're at least 16 and then only like if they're driving it they have their whole lives to do it and you know I've been trying to encourage that with my 10 year old lately and just or he's like well you know I think I want to be this or that and I'm like things are different now you can be five things you could be like you could be a police officer and then a librarian and then a scuba diver like you know you can choose all that and he'll say these things, oh, I really want to do this, but that doesn't really pay much money. And I'm like, you know, you can also have hobbies. Like, mm -hmm. sure, you could do that anyway, because that brings you joy. But if you want to be in charge of the model trains at Travel Town or Train Museum, which is a volunteer club, that's a hobby, bud. Like, I feel like almost there's so much pressure on, like, what will you do to make money? And that's such an American thing yeah. uh, that should also bring you ultimate joy and satisfaction. It's 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 a lot of pressure, even on a 10-year-old, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I've said that, you know, some people have jobs that give them a good life so that in their free time, they can pursue whatever they want. Other people, know, even if they don't make a ton of money at it, it's important to them to be working every day at the thing that fulfills them. Not one is not right, one is not wrong, but one is right for you, you know. It's it's a really tough thing. And um, you know, growing up knowing that I wanted to do something only when it's fulfilling to me has been very frustrating. And there's a lot of, you know, upstarts and I was really successful in an IT consulting world and I dropped out of it because I didn't feel fulfilled and it doesn't matter how much money I was making. And it it caused my wife a whole lot of grief and my wife is the opposite of all things you know acting it's you know go get an education get a job continue growing this is a job you want to have hobbies have hobbies but you know very risk averse whereas i am all about what is fulfillment what is what is what is my drive what is my passion how do i make my passion into a daily thing that i can actually get paid for and that's been you know, 20 years of just uh, the artist. 
Yeah, and I, I'm still finding the balance and I'm not sure that I found it, but I think with this show that I you know, started during COVID times, with the show, with the, some of the acting opportunities that I have, and with a regular you know, job in IT or HR, you know, I do kind of both things, that satisfies all. And if the show becomes something that replaces the income, then I'll gladly drop out of the other one. But I'm not gonna make that thing of, I'll only do the show and then hope it works out because it's fulfilling to me. You need to have money. I have two kids, I have uh, responsibilities. You know, it's it's a it's a reality. So it's not an easy thing uh, to uh, you know to be crazy like we are. Well, and I noticed, um, you know, I used to always think of having a second job as being like a backup plan. If things go badly, mm -hmm. then then you do that thing. And um, you know, the longer I've been in this business, my most successful friends, to the friends that are aren't sure if they're going to qualify for health insurance each year, you know, mm -hmm. in the union, they all choose something else, and not because it's a failure or a backup plan, but simply because if you are only an actor, you have very little power at any level that you're at. Mm -hmm. uh, you feel obligated to take jobs you might not want to, to say yes, to beg for work. And so if it's on the other side, the writing and producing, you, you know, I feel like a lot of times people get it in their minds like, oh, they couldn't make it as an actor, so they started producing or this or that. But all of a sudden, if you have that other thing going on, you're in charge of your creative fulfillment. And sure, you can get that from class as well. You know, I've always said it's super greedy to expect someone to pay you a ton of money and mm -hmm. also offer you full artistic satisfaction. Like, mm -hmm. it's just selfish. So I've always said, you don't have to pay me money to do both. I'll do commercials, which are fun. Maybe mm -hmm. not like using all of my skills are gonna pay me well. And then it's my job to get in class that night and be doing the thing where I'm leaving my heart on the floor on the stage. Anybody who can make any money in this business is in the 1% anyway. Yep. And so I think that's realistic. But my husband, I'm like your wife to my husband. Well, I don't want him to not act, but like he's just this charismatic, well-spoken, educated guy who's brilliant at like finance and charm and people just offer him jobs. Like they're just like, if you ever stop acting, like come call. And I'm like, do you know how hard it is to get you? And some of those jobs would pay a lot of money. And it's like, I don't want him to leave, you know? And he's really, I think, just now coming into his prime of his acting career. And he's so good. But like, it is hard sometimes. You have to remind yourself, okay, we've made this choice. We're not mm -hmm. victims of our circumstances. We've chosen to live the life of an artist with its ups and downs, knowing that there could perhaps have been a more secure path for us. That's a choice. And so that, that gives you, I think that then you don't feel like a victim. You're like, no, I own this. I could always pursue something else, but my priority is artistic satisfaction and I'm not done yet, you know? Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, it, everybody has something that they work on within a particular lifetime. And yes, I believe in multiple lifetimes, but, um, and you know, one of the things that I'm working on and I know other people in the, in the industry, they're working on you know, where is your fulfillment coming from? How do you combine artistic uh, and creative endeavors with things that actually uh, you get paid for and uh, have stability? It's it's a never ending. Uh, it's a never ending thing. So I, yeah, I I'm, I'm glad. You know, going back to the kids, I want them to uh, to make their choices. But as my daughter is deciding on what college and what you know her major is going to be, the I'm not paying for her to go to acting school. Uh, I'm so sorry to everybody who went to acting school who you know believes in that uh, I, I love the idea of it, but I'm not paying for her to go to acting school. I'm paying for her to have a major uh, to have something that combines kind of her creative and artistic side with the business corporate world that'll give her stability and continue acting, continue taking classes, continue doing things if that's what you want, because a lot of the successful actors I know, did not go to acting school. Uh, so acting school does not necessarily translate uh, to an acting career. Uh, and I've, I've, the problem that I have with a lot of the acting schools is they don't really train you how to be a, a successful actor. They train you theater techniques and they train you how to utilize your, uh, your emotional and your, uh, your emotional states, your body, everything and it's theater, 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 and then you come out and they didn't really even teach you what a mark is. So 
forget about who an agent is and how do you actually audition. And when you get on set, what are the things that you need to understand? Because a set is a zoo. And do you remember that uh, you actually have to, you know, when you get in <clears throat> on an overnight shoot at three in the morning, when uh, they finally set up uh, the shot, do you think you're going to be able to drop into your character when everybody's yelling around you? It's like the things of how, what reality of an acting life is. The I haven't talked to anybody that has gone through acting school that actually says that they teach them that. It's more of like, we prepare you and then go for it. Well, a, a lot of people drop out because they, they can't get a job. There's a lot of different ways to get to the same place. And, you know, even though I came from a family of lifelong learners, um, you know, and my, my dad, I mean, they just went to school forever. <laughs> like it was like professional students in many ways. Uh, but even with that, even with my dad being an Ivy Leaguer and, you know, having um, advanced degrees and stuff, the message was always you have to do well there and you need to graduate for it to matter. But how you spend your time when you're there won't matter to many people except for you. And I felt a lot of pressure. Um, I had a scholarship for elementary education and I was like, I don't know if I want to be a teacher yet. Like, I don't I don't know. And my mom was like, just go to college and take what's fun and you'll be more successful that way. And you don't know what you'll find. And so I never intended to believe that I needed to study the thing that I would use. And that freed me because mm -hmm. at that age, you know, I was barely 17 when I started college and like, I didn't, know what, I didn't even know at 25 what the heck I wanted to do with my life. And yeah. so I took archaeology and tap and acting and history of the gold rush and Jane Austen and all these things. And so I did very well in college and I, it took me five years to graduate with great grades, wonderful experience. And I had so many life experiences business skills from the organizations I joined and all of that, that I don't think I would have gotten if I would have been there like with a plan, you know? And I think the only time that an acting school uh, inhibits a person is when they teach them that that's all they need. And sometimes some of my students who come to me will be recent graduates who are very adamant, like, oh, I paid all this money for this degree and I have that. So no, I'm not going to go take this improv class. I shouldn't have to get a referral for these agents. I'm going to do it on my own. And, you know, anytime I think anything, and I doubt that's the message the schools are intending to send, because many, I have many students who graduated from Tisch and all these great programs that are doing great. But anytime it's encouraging the ego, you know, people can call it um, a nepotism business, but it's not, but it's a collaborative business. And it's all about referrals and community. And if people come in with that solo lone wolf attitude, they're going to have a lot harder of a climb than someone who is there to build networks, you know? And so I think that's the dangerous thing, is, is coming in feeling that you're owed something because of where you've trained. You know, I was the opposite. I was very self-conscious about my lack of that. And so I think in some ways that helped me because I felt like I had more to prove uh, by studying as fast as I could and training and reading everything I could because I, I was insecure about that. So was Russell Crowe and uh, he did okay. Yeah. <laughs> I feel uh, like, I like there's a lesson there. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, again, oh, oh, what I tell uh, when I talk to people and I tell them, you know, what is is there something that can be you know, uh, taken as a successful path within acting? It's building communities. It's networking. That's really what it is, and not networking as in you need to know the right people. No, it's be with the people who are enjoying and doing the same things that you are, because you, naturally you'll want to help each other out. When you look at so many films, so many franchises, I mean, look at Adam Sandler, uh, who I love. Uh, look mm -hmm. at who he works with. It's usually the same people. Uh, mm -hmm. You look at Quentin Tarantino, it's usually the same people. When you're looking at uh, a lot of the creatives, they kind of just you know uh, come together and they and they work together because they enjoy. They know their professionals. They know you know what works and what doesn't. That's how things are done. You know, just find your tribe, find your community and and be a part of it. And that usually has a higher chance of succeeding than, you know, which school did you go to? Well, and when you just show up and pitch in and ask people for their advice, people throw you opportunities. When you go around asking people for things, 
that's never the case. And I think that's the biggest difference too, is like, if you just show people who you'll be in this business Mm -hmm. and say yes and pitch in and ask them for knowledge, not handouts, Mm -hmm. they're going to hand you things because they're going to want to help you. And because they feel like they're doing that on their own volition. And that's how a lot of things in my life have happened. I've done some random short film on a weekend that pays no money because a friend of mine's like, oh, please, somebody dropped out. And I know it would be helpful if they had you do it. And I'm like, I'm free on Saturday. Sure. And then you never know, like, did that film go to South by Southwest? No. But five years later, did that person decide that they wanted to be a casting director instead? And there's all these little threads that I don't know. And had I done that job for the expected outcome, I would have gotten nothing from it. But I didn't. I'm an actor. I showed up and I acted. And whether you're paying me $5,000 a day or deferred pay, I'm going to show you who I am as a professional, you know, and that has benefited me. And to people who are like, well, that's because you're nice. Because No, I'm also smart. Like even people who are mean and selfish, I'm like, at least be respectful on set for your own sake, because people aren't going to hire you again. They're not going to want to work with you. I see it all the time. I'm a repeat actor. People hire me again. I show up. I'm good at what I do. I'm grateful for the opportunity. You never have to worry about me. You can set me and forget me. And I see the actors that filter out because they come and, and they don't realize that getting the job is not how you keep the job. You get the job and then you still have to prove yourself as a professional and people want to like being around you, you know? That's what they always say about Keanu Reeves. Everybody just loves being around him. And that's why he's had his career is because everybody just wants to be around the guy. It's like, I want to be like that. That sounds cool. You know? I, I, I learned that. And this is where, again, I completely agree with you. And I think all of the experiences that I've had in my life, plus, you know, who I am as a person, that really helped me with acting because I started acting, you know, late. I started acting, at, you know, 40-something uh really i've always been in it but i've never really kind of pushed it until i was uh, early 40s and i remember i was hired in a tiny uh, tiny role uh, in a student film uh well student slash indie to play a uh, to play a homeless man and i you know i in northwest suburbs of chicago so the shoot is in uh, in chicago it was an overnight shoot like I put my kids to bed and I get in my car and I drive and I'm thinking to myself, what the hell am I doing? Uh, and I get there, I go uh, and the director comes up and says, listen, I don't know how to tell you this, but my filming crew just walked out. They're not going to do any more overnight. So they just walked out. So we, we can't you know, film. Uh, I apologize. I'm like, hey, it happens. No worries. No problem. So I drive back home. I get uh, to sleep. Uh, like a few months later, he uh, he calls me up saying, hey, I, I'm doing uh, a film this weekend. Uh, I have a lead uh, kind of a role for you. Do you want it? Yes. So I do that one. And he calls and he says, all right, so we're back to shooting this movie. I decided to restructure it. Are you okay playing the lead? I'm going to rewrite it for you. Yes. So that second one then became a third. Then he called me in for the fourth. Now he's putting stuff together. I became a producer on one of his uh, films. Now one of his friends who was on the uh, the first movie that we did together, second, uh, he asked me to, uh, to help him produce the, another film that now is in LA. Like that tiny little no pay opportunity and me being a good guy about something bad that happened led to half my resume. Yeah, and I think it's also important to recognize those lessons because sometimes people be like, look at this cool thing that happened and they don't realize the universe is like saying, hey, like wake up, this is how we work, like this is what we're doing. This is, if, if you were looking for answers, this is your answer, so continue to behave that way, you know? Perfect. Um, I, I need to mention a few of the projects that you were on. Uh, you know, I did mention Glee at the very beginning. I'm a Glee. My daughter is a Glee. We love Glee. Um, and you had a really fun, uh, fun role with uh, with Artie. Though <laughs> I yeah. I did remember it. You know, obviously watching it, you kind of uh, remember those lines, and then watching it again, I'm like, yeah, I remember that. I remember Artie making films, and it was great. Um, but my wife's favorite show by far is This Is Us. And uh, you had a chance to do an episode of uh, This Is Us. So mm-hmm. I know she saw you and uh, I'm sure that she's going to really enjoy watching this. But uh, for her sake, what uh, what was the experience like on that set? Because it's it's a fantastic show. 
It was a, you know, it was a truly great experience. Um, Telsey and company, the casting agency is just a very open. So even from the audition on, just warm, open, positive. This was back when you could still audition in person, um, back in the olden days. And, uh, you know, I had auditioned for the show before and was kind of bummed when I didn't get a role. And then this role came along and it was actually a better and more interesting and more fun role. Uh, and so it's nice, you know, it's a good reminder too, to be like, to let things go. Cause you never know like what's coming. Um, and everybody on that set was so great and most of my scenes were with Justin Hartley and he uh, was super sweet and also became a parent very young in this town and so we connected over that had lots of conversations about that um, and so it was a truly great experience and then professionally it was nice because you know a lot of times in auditions you're explaining to people what you've been up to they're looking at your resume oh you're on this yeah, I've heard about that and you're like yeah it's this, this. and for like a few weeks after that when I would go into auditions they'd be like okay just before we do anything I saw you on this as uh, and I was like well this is great I don't even have to sell myself today um yeah. and so that it was fun to be a part of such an iconic show and uh one of my good friends um is on the show more regularly and so uh it was kind of fun to be like I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna be on the show and 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 tell her all about that and uh, uh, and she still is and so actually that's when I started watching the show and I don't, I don't catch it every week with my kids being home 24/7 I'm yeah. like I binge every couple months and like catch up on things and the rest of the time I'm only watching uh, children's TV mostly but um, you know yeah. I I became a big fan of that show and that style of storytelling I think uh, really inspires me yeah. as a writer to um, because so often in, especially in TV, people, if they focus on character development, it's like one or two characters. And man, like every little character is so fleshed out, which shows you that the people who are writing it, and obviously every episode could be different. I know Dan Fogelman created it, but, um, but shows that they like writing because you don't have to do that. You can tell a story without, but it's an actor's dream to be like, oh wow, like there's actually a whole character here, you know? Yeah. Um, I had a lot of fun on that one. That's very cool. And then uh, one of my favorite uh, comedies is Community, and you had a you had a chance to be on that as well. No, I didn't. You didn't. It shows it on IMDb Pro. Put that on IMDb, and I submitted something one time saying it was wrong, and they left it there. Oh. I would have liked Community. I was never on Community. Fun I was. Back. So I, you know, like all things, I, I, I get to it much later. So I started watching Community recently, and I just got to season three. And doing my prep, I saw that, you know, it shows for you season three, you know, woman with a baby. I'm like, hey, that's cool. I'm about to, you know, I'm about to, I'm about to watch Gladwell. And look too hard. It's a good lesson not to believe everything you read on the internet, I guess. <laughs> um, I, I was talking to uh, to an actor who uh, on IMDb Pro it shows that he was a part of uh, a part of Glee. Uh, and it, it shows, you know, one of the parts. I'm like, I don't remember him at all. And in talking to him, he said, yeah, it's, it, you know, somebody put me in there. I was never on Glee. I talked to IMDb. They never took it off. So now you're the second person that I hear this from. <laughs> well, I was on Glee. That was real. Well, that, right. was that, part, that part I know. <laughs> uh, but I, it's, uh, okay, so you were not a community. I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> It's fine yeah. with me. I mean, I would take the residuals, but uh, otherwise, you know, I didn't. I don't think I even ever auditioned for that show, so I've lost nothing. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. And then, you know, a lot of people know you from the middle. Uh, mm -hmm. I have not watched the middle. I've seen commercials. I know what the show is about, and a lot of actors that I really like are on that show, but I haven't gotten there yet. No, maybe I will watch it with uh, with my kids because I think they may enjoy it. But um, I think they, ten year old, really likes it a lot. Yeah. Um, how did that opportunity come about? Because I mean, that's that's where you've done most episodes of uh, any shows that you were on. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was a great, very windy road. Um, it started years ago. I took an acting class with um, G. Charles Wright, who cast The Middle, mm -hmm. and uh, began a, a, you know, a working relationship with him. He's a great guy, and he's a really good teacher, and he started as an actor himself. And um, actually, I learned so many because, you know, as we talked about, 
the translation between being able to audition well versus just knowing how to act. And mm -hmm. he was really good at teaching act. Well, still is really good. I just haven't taken the class in a long time. Um, yeah. Really good at teaching actors how to audition. But at first, I wasn't good at comedy. And so I was just a student. I would go do things and come back. And he was always a big champion of my career. Um, but also one of the, not few casting directors, but not all casting directors do understand that good actors will continue to be better every time you see them because they're going to be training and learning new things. They're not just going to say, oh, no, I saw them two years ago for comedy. They don't do comedy. They know, like, oh, I should see them. It's been a while. They're like not do, doing new things. And so he encouraged me to study comedy more seriously, and I did. And then he'd bring me in for small roles. You know, it was very where I was in my career. And then I remember he brought me in for a role um, at one point, and I had auditioned for the middle so many times um, and had some roles I really wanted to. And there was this one point in which uh, I went in for an audition and he was like, you know, I don't feel like this is a great fit for you, but I know there's a role coming up that I just think you'd be really great for. And um, it's a bigger role. I know they kind of want a name for it, but like I just saw you and I thought of it. And so just be ready for that, you know, and that ended up being the role that I booked and I had to fight for it. The producers, I think, really did want someone at the time maybe that was more well-known than I was. Um, and I think they were kind of taking a chance on me, especially at that point in my career. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was wonderful. And one of the creators of the show is from Cincinnati as well. And there was a big flavor of that in the show and we connected and, uh, you know, it was supposed to only be a couple episodes, at least so they said at the yeah. beginning. and. Uh, they said they were just enjoying having me around and I was very happy to be there. Um, and so it was, it was wonderful. And it was a good example of, you know, I didn't start studying with him to try to get a job on his show. And in fact, I wasn't anywhere near ready for that. Um, but now in the other way too, I look for opportunities where I'd like to help him. If anybody's ever looking for a great casting director for a project, I'd be like, I know the guy. Um, and so it's a mutual admiration that yeah. I think. Everybody, like I've got a whole web of people that I'm always looking out for that are always looking out for me. And so, sure, my agents probably submitted me for that part. But yeah. it was because of a relationship I had already built. And so that's something that I really try to um, encourage with my students, particularly the ones who see me for career consultations, mm -hmm. is that your agents and managers get 10%, 90% yeah. or 80%, depending on how many reps you have is on you and if you're not putting things out there they can't sell nothing and so they'll be like oh, i think i need to get a new agent i'm not getting out at all and you know it's like yes they should be doing their job to some degree but what are you doing to meet people to get your face out there to be working to making things mm -hmm. um and so i found that you know they always say musicians practice every day professional athletes would never dream of not staying fit every day but actors somehow think they only need to act on days when they get auditions and they still should get parts, you know? So, um, so I feel like that's a thing that has really helped me uh, at least continue to make a living in this business. No, that's, that's great. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy about that experience because I, I do a lot of uh, workshops anytime a casting director, you know, before in the good old days, anytime a casting director would come to Chicago, I would, you know, take a workshop with them uh, in person. And, then I started doing things uh, virtually, not because of, hey, I need them to see me because something can come out of it, but you, you want to learn. You want to see what uh, what people are like. And I've met some wonderful casting directors, some of which I had on my show you know, after that because they were really influential in my growth as an actor. And then mm -hmm. anything else that happens is, is a bonus. Uh, that's not yeah. the reason for doing it. Exactly. That's what I say. And I know some people don't agree with doing workshops and there was the pay for play scandal and those have never been the workshops I've been interested in. But mm -hmm. I've gotten some really enlightening feedback on my own stuff from casting directors who I know who in their job capacity, it's not their job to sit there in the audition and, and tell me these things about myself, but in a learning environment. It's great. And also just to see how they work with other actors and things. And yes, yeah, sometimes it turns into a long relationship and you end up working together. But you know, I always at least get that out of it. And so I love being surprised when those things come out of it because I come to act, to audition and get feedback and to grow and learn. And now is a really great time for actors to do that when things are slow. You know, it's you're in your house. It's gonna be hard to meet new people right now. Um, it's gonna be hard to network right now. And sure, I wish there was a world in which you know, I didn't pay and do this and do that. But um, and there are definitely casting directors who took advantage of that and were just profiting. And, um, and that was a shame. But the ones that are still there, at least the ones that I've experienced with at the legit places, 
they're there because they're like, oh, I just wish actors knew this. I wish actors would just know this when they come into audition. And I'm like, over here, <laughs> like, I'll listen. And I even, you know, I did one at one point with Kendra Castleberry uh, and she, uh, it was all about procedurals. And she had all these gems that were so specific to procedurals that I just wrote out. And afterwards I was like, you know, I teach an acting class. Like, is it, I'll totally credit you, but is it cool if I just like verbatim, like tell my students, she was like, you don't need to credit me. Like, I didn't come up with it. I'm like, it's not common knowledge, even yeah. among people. I've been in tons of procedurals, you know, and so I'm totally all about that. And so I'm always like, this is Kendra Castleberry's rules for procedurals. You know? Good. No, it's it's absolutely right. I, and the the man who inspired me to kind of start the show was a workshop that I had with John Levy, who's a you know yeah. director of The West Wing, which is my favorite show ever, uh, and ER, and you know many other uh, shows, and I, I just, you know, I, I wrote about four pages of notes and just listening to him talk in that uh, workshop. And I said, I need to share and I need to have the show so I can invite people on so we can all learn. And that was the impetus for this show. So oh. John Levy was uh, was the reason I invited him on the show. He's really busy. Uh, I, I'm sure one day he's going to come on to my show and we can we can yes. talk about it. Uh, and speaking of, uh, of workshops and classes, I know you have a master class that's coming up. Uh, tell people more about it. I, I think I want to do it myself. So. Yeah, you know, I'm really proud of that. I've been working on it for a long time. It was actually an idea I've had for a long time, mostly because I've been an acting teacher um, independently and at one of the top LA acting studios, Michael Wilson Studio, since 2013. Mm -hmm. And around that time also, I started traveling and doing uh, all-day intensives for actors around the country. And then also would do one day classes for actors who were on trips to LA. Um, mm. Then though, the challenge would say they'd go, oh my gosh, I got all this different insight than the types of things they're teaching at Playhouses, which is a great place to start too. And they're like, so then now where do I go? Or what do I do when I get home? And mm. it was hard because uh, many of them became private coaching clients of mine. We would do general stuff where I'd assign them one-on-one -on -one until they started getting auditions. But that's, costly and um you know some people want to just do do the class like be in it and it's just not available to everybody internet connection time of day whatever and so for years I, I found that frustrating um and some would move here and then they join my class and you know I've taught I have several classes and private coaching and I have clients all over the world but um you know I've sort of developed all these specific exercises for parts of the technique because as a student the part that was really frustrating to me was I would study all these places and like philosophically I'd be like yeah that's great and then I'd be like so how do you know if I'm doing that like what does it feel like or like what is there like a step I do to like try that objective or to um how do I tangibly raise the stakes and you know and those sorts of things and so I started developing exercises for like each part of it and so uh, Sam Finley, who I worked on a film with uh, last year, he approached me and was like, you know, I just had this idea. What if we did an actual like masterclass style class? And I love masterclass, but it's mm. it's more like fun, inspiring TED Talks. It's not so much like no. busting out the work as you go. And that's what I felt like students needed. And so we worked on it four months and filmed like hours of this. I wrote all original scenes. Each scene is an opportunity to practice a different part of the technique. And then we come back together and we go over together and I say like what I would have done. Um, mm -hmm. And it's top to bottom, nuts and bolts. Every part of every technique, that foundation that I found helpful. And then the twists that I have found um, by taking them my own way. Like for example, adding in things like specifically in your checklist of technique thoughts um, and specific ways for blocking and auditions and things like that. And so uh, we just finished our first round of beta testers and the feedback was great. Uh, actors found it super helpful and felt like they could use it right away. And so next week, Acting with Gala is launching. Um, and so I'll be sending you um, a code that you can offer to your viewers so that they can get a Thank discount. You. Um, yeah, and you know, it's, uh, I think it's a great opening thing. So now I used to always say like, oh, do what you can in 
Chicago or Cincinnati or whatever before you move to LA. It really is getting to the point where you don't have to move now, but the training hasn't gotten as specific there. Um, and the style always changes, you know, uh, for auditions at the size and things. And so, yes, actors in, you know, Des Moines can audition for the same roles that I can now in Los Angeles, but in order to be competitive, there are things that they may not have access to there. And so that's what this is. You could take one long weekend and by the time you're finished, feel like I pretty much know top to bottom acting technique. And yeah, maybe I'm gonna go back and like go over it some more. And all of it is each exercise you could directly apply into other sides, um, adding in one step with each lesson until the end when you have it all and then you throw it all away. Um, so I'm really, as you can tell, I'm really excited about it. It was a baby of mine for a long time. And um, it's basically what I have spent years creating in the classroom and with my students privately to see what works, what resonates with the 10-year-old newbie actor and the 60-year-old Tony-winning actor that's trying to begin a film and uh, a career in TV and film. And I think these universal things are good for every part of that spectrum and just helping you find more specificity in your work. That's very cool. Yeah, please uh, please send a code and please send the link so we can uh, we can put it right below the video. Guys, go check it out. I definitely. Uh, I'll talk to the director today and get you all the info. Perfect. I love that. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming out. It's been a joy talking to you. I really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was great. I really enjoyed myself. Thank you. And thanks to everybody for tuning in. Uh, you know, go uh, follow, go take uh, you know a look at the masterclass. Hopefully it is uh, for you as well. Uh, and, you know, let's kick off December on a good note. Let's all stay healthy. Let's be smart. Let's finish off this 2020 strong and get ready for 2021, which hopefully is a lot better than 2020. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Bye.